this is Drinking with a Gnome. So this is a bit of an experiment. This is the first episode that I'm recording just live, just making it up, making it up as I go along. Joined by Andy Foltz. Andy, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good. What do you know about the Manhattan? I know that I like them. <laughs> good, because um, that's what we're drinking tonight. Awesome. Um, I have a more notes than I can possibly work through about this cocktail. Okay. Um, it has kind of a storied history that yes, is does. mostly bullshit from what I've learned. <laughs> Nobody really knows the actual origin of it. But but aren't most drink histories kind of mostly bullshit? Um, I've mean, figured that out kind of about yeah. the industry in general, the booze industry. There's lots of like big stories that aren't yeah. really true. Um, I'm going to pour these first. Sure. Let's pour them. Um, I already mixed it up. I right. am stirring. So first question is which bourbon did you use? I did not use a bourbon, so that's a that's oh, a good topic right there. So, awesome. Um, traditionally, now, now I'm doubly intrigued. Traditionally, a Manhattan was made with rye whiskey. Okay, so this is uh, Rittenhouse Hunter Proof Rye. Okay. I've also put a couple other spins on this that we'll talk about kind of as we go along, but okay. Um, the first one being. You don't get a cherry. Number one, because I don't I have any that. cherries. Number two, because I like it with a lemon twist. Although I'm all right with it. are a little old, so and, not. and when I make a Manhattan at home, I actually cheat and use the um, the cherry juice. Yes. Just so, a splash of that. So It all comes down to how sweet you like your Manhattan. Um, bourbon is okay in a Manhattan, in my opinion, if you like it sweet. Yes. Um, the To me, the sweet vermouth... Uh, already sweetens it up a whole bunch. You add mm-hmm. bourbon into it, it just comes way too sweet. You have to find like a big it's, ballsy bourbon to use with it. And I will typically for any kind of bourbon mixing drink, I'll, I'll typically go with a Buffalo Trace because I think it's a solid bourbon that's affordable and I don't feel like I'm, you know, violating that rule about mixing a Buffalo a big... Trace too is a high rye bourbon yes. so it kind of goes balances into out a little bit yeah um try and it I before we, that try it before we dig in here tell me what you think okay. there is there is another twist and i want to see if you can pick it out another little spin i like to put on this drink when i make it for myself i would not typically if you walked into my home bar and asked for manhattan make it exactly like this but there is another secret ingredient hmm. do you want a hint I'll take a hint, yes. Do you get a little hint of smoke? I do. I definitely do. I thought that was coming from the rye, though. That is coming from the splash of scotch that I had to it. Oh. So in the summer, oh, I may make this drink a little different my, than I would today, but now this you, is now my, you're speaking my, my language, weather version though. of the drink. So uh, for the folks that, that don't know me, I'm the only Kentucky boy you ever met that isn't a huge bourbon fan. Uh, I will drink it. Obviously, I just said I mix it at home. But I prefer scotch to bourbon. And I think we talked about that. So that smoke coming from that scotch is an excellent twist. We will definitely have you back on the show at one point to dig into some bourbon. Um, I had a long conversation about bourbon on St. Patrick's Day when I was recording that episode. uh, And trying to figure out how to do a bourbon episode. The idea of Drinking with the Gnome is this is supposed to be a shorter format show Mm -hmm. than what Cincy Brewcast is. I have a feeling that's going to kind of go to the wayside eventually as we start digging into some of these things, especially sure. something like bourbon. 
there's a lot you can talk about with bourbon. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I think with a lot of the liquors, there are. So we're probably going to split some things up into multiple shows, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, I would imagine <laughs> you'd have to. Um, uh, even a scotch. I think you could break down scotches by region. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, quote, unquote, traditional Manhattan, two ounces of whiskey. Uh, right. uh, more traditionally rye, more modern, you get some bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, an ounce of sweet vermouth. That's the red stuff, in case. Um you don't and, know that we'll have a vermouth show. I'm, I'm sure. And, at some point. and and just as an FYI, you know, as a bartender, vermouth to taste for the person that's making it at home. It, we say an ounce of the I, show, but I usually go fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, is what my breakdown yeah. is. It, depending on what kind of vermouth you have to. There's right again. There. This is what's hard about talking about cocktails is that yeah. every ingredient you can change, change and, and 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 the whole recipe is going to change depending on what bottle you have. So true. A starting point: two ounces of whiskey, ounce of sweet vermouth, couple dashes of Angostura bitters. Mm-hmm. I go a little heavier on the bitters with mine too, but yeah. Stir it up, throw a, a maraschino cherry in there. Um, it doesn't have to be one of those neon ones either. Get yourself some good cherries if you're going to do a cherry. There's some really great cherries, cherries out there. Correct. We could go into some of the historical let's versions of this no, recipe. No, no, let's do this. Um, I'm a history guy. The, the oldest recipe I could find is uh, from a book called The Flowering Bowl from 1891. Okay. It asked, it called for two dashes of gum, which is like a like a sugar syrup, I, I think. I would say it's like simple <laughs> syrup today. Um, uh, two dashes of bitters. I know what that is. Yeah. One dash of absinthe. So that kind of plays into the bitter thing a little bit. Uh, two thirds of a drink of whiskey. I don't really know what that measurement is. Um, sounds like a two thirds of a liter, maybe. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, maybe not. <laughs> I, I, I would go with about two thirds of a glass. Um, uh, you know, so and then a little one, more than what you've got in one there. One third of a drink of vino vermouth. Um, so interesting. Uh, I, I'm going to guess that's some kind of sweet vermouth too. I but, would imagine um, based on well, it not necessarily. That could be um, could be very. Harsh yeah, and bitter I, vermouth I've, too. I, so I've no, we could we could do a whole, an entire show on digging into what that recipe really means and trying to recreate that. Um, Harry Johnson's 1900 Bartender's Manual starts to get a little more, a little bit more familiar. Um, one or two dashes of gum syrup, very carefully. One or two dashes of bitters. Orange bitters is what they called for, which mm-hmm. actually sounds pretty good to me. Um, a little more um, like an old fashioned kind of flavor. Exactly. Well, that's what I was just going to say. That's an old. And then kind of going on that same thing, a uh, dash of curacao, which is an orange liqueur, or a dash of absinthe if required. So that's a kind of a two taste thing. If you want some orange, if you want some more bitter, starts going into that figuring out what you want. You know, it's it's a, it's creating very different drinks depending on which one you yeah, put in there. That's um, half a wine glass of whiskey, half a wine glass of vermouth. Uh, stir up well, strain into a fancy, fancy yeah. cocktail glass, squeeze a piece of lemon peel on top, and serve. And then yeah. they go into a little more detail. Leave it for the customer to decide whether to use absinthe or not. Uh, this drink is very popular in the present day. It's the bartender's duty to ask the customer whether he desires his drink dry or sweet. So <laughs> it's these 
Yeah, it, you talk about putting all this vermouth in there, and I'm going, that that's a way different animal. Yeah. That's a way different drink than what we have in front of us right here. So th- that's what makes kind of tracing the history of some of these cocktails difficult, too, is some of them are a bit of a, a process to yeah. get from point A to point B. You know, uh, um, we, you know, don't, don't get me started on the martini, because that's one that kind of has changed throughout the years. That Well, I, I will absolutely Very volunteer to this drink and i will absolutely volunteer for the martini show oh, i love martinis yeah okay so that's that's the the oldest kind of recipes that i think are uh manhattan recipes that i have been able but, to find. but that's they they sound far off of again what's sitting in front of us right just that amount i don't know anybody that drinks vermouth like that in those amounts you know vermouth's always like a splash here and a splash there an ounce here an ounce there if you Get, and I, when I was down in, in Asheville a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that was on my list of places I wanted to stop, there's a little Italian restaurant that um, expanded in the last couple of years and their bar got way bigger and they added on what they call a vermouthria or, you know, my Italian's a little off, but um, it's a vermouth bar. And in Italy, it's a very popular thing. You go on a Sunday afternoon and you kind of hang out and you drink vermouth all day. <laughs> you, 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 you know, serve it over ice. Man, I want to be Italian. Maybe a splash of soda with it. It's, it's about the vermouth. It's not about the, the vermouth becoming a modifier to the cocktail. So. Right. And that's totally not how very I different think of it is, is very different than the what's way happening in the United it. States. Yeah, is, way different than anything that's happening in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, there's no vermouth bars in Cincinnati. I don't know that one would go over, unfortunately. No, and that's um, kind of a bigger topic too about what enables these these really great drinking cities like like Asheville or, or, mm-hmm. or be it L.A. or New York, whatever it is. What what enables these kind of niche, goofy places to exist? And it's some other kind of well, you, you other just, thing that's already happening, I guess. And then enables these weird offshoots. Yeah, I mean, to you kind of you kind of have to know your niche. I, if you want to look at it with beer, because that's obviously kind of where my mind always goes, um, you, you you can't have a all sour brewery in a city that doesn't have any other breweries, right? Because you already have a healthy beer scene, you get those places like Urban Artifact here, or mm-hmm. uh, be it like a an all Belgian brewery or some goofy farmhouse place or whatever it is. Like the only way that those places can survive is if there's already a healthy beer scene that right. enables them to be weird you know sure and i think that's the same for a vermouth bar or whatever yeah. it may be i think that's an interesting take on it i mean it's not something i've given a lot of thought to in so the past but this cocktail um is an old one obviously mm-hmm. we, we talked about that um it paved the way for other cocktails like the martini uh rob roy which is basically the same cocktail same with with scotch instead of yeah um the the, the bourbon or rye it's a, it's a foundational one. It's an important one to kind of understand. And once you really get it and you get the breakdown of the cocktail and what it is, you see it all over the place. You see other recipes that are this just with ingredients swapped out. And mm-hmm. um, it enables you to kind of take other roads off of it. It's a fun one. It is. Um, and like you said earlier, it, you can kind of make it sweet, make it dry to taste. I tend to make mine pretty sweet. Right. Um my old fashions tend to be a little, well, and you know, it can shift based on the situation, based yeah. on the season, whatever it may be. Um, you saw those old recipes and how different they were mm-hmm. um, over the years. The the gum syrup and the absinthe were were admitted. Obviously, the 
Um, some of the sweeter ingredients were almost turned into garnishes, be it the, the, the cherry. Right. Um, yeah, with with the addition of the cherry, putting the simple syrup in there would be like an instant cavity, Yeah, I would think. You know, <laughs> the, it would, the, the thing that interests me a lot, too, is the, the orange bitters, why they were using orange bitters at the time, and how that shifted over into Angostura. Well, and I think it might have even been like a, a marketing kind of thing at one point where well, Angostura just became the big one. The, the other thing with that is you're talking about something in the 1900s and, and things didn't travel the way they did now. Right. So how many of these recipes are regional? Right. Versus, you know, because orange bitters might have been available versus a, a different kind of bitters or, you know, your vermouth. If you're in an area that had a lot of Italians, maybe they were drinking a lot of vermouth, so it was readily available. Therefore, you added more to right. your drink. Or a, a wine growing region yeah. um, in, in the United States, maybe. I, who knows? Right. I the, mean, it, there's all kinds of possibilities on that. The, the stories about the origin of the cocktail, the one you'll hear the most is that it was created at the Manhattan Club in New York. Yes. Um, a big party that uh, Dr. Ian Marshall threw for Lady Randolph Churchill and created this cocktail called the Manhattan for this party. But in recent years, we figured out that it couldn't have happened because she was still in England pregnant with Winston Churchill at the time that this party happened. So it couldn't have been a party thrown in her honor. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean she didn't drink it, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but she wasn't here. She was not in the United States at that time. Um, There uh, is another story that's probably a little more true um, that it was created in the 1860s by a bartender named black. That's the only name we have for him um, at a bar on Broadway um, again in New York. It comes from a bartender called uh, William Mulhall. He worked at the Hoffman house in the early 1880s and wrote a book in 1923. And in that, he kind of outlaid the history in just those little brief terms of this is where I think hmm. the cocktail came from. So who knows yeah. how true that is? Um, I mean, the, he, he would have as good an idea as anybody, probably. Uh, the first full written recipe was in 1884 in O.H. Byron's book, The Modern Bartender's Guide. So that's where you get the first written recipe of what we know um, as the uh, uh, the Manhattan. <laughs> Who knows what's, what's, what's really, you know, a lot of those stories. That, even at the same time, you could have three different people that were telling three different stories. Mm-hmm. Most of the things weren't written down. There right. weren't cocktail books like we know them now. No, no. It was all it, passed down over a bar it, of it, people Well, even things that had and, the same names would have different makes within the same city. Just, you know, bartender variants on it. And, you know, how many of those were made and, and not that I've ever done this. I've totally done this. <laughs> you just fake it with what you got. Right. Sometimes. And, right. You know, and if people like it, you kind of go, shit, what did I do? And you try to keep making it, <laughs> right. you know? Um, there's, um, there's another kind of longer account from uh, 1899 that I won't uh, bore you guys with trying to read the whole thing. But um, eventually I'll get a post up on thegnarlygnome.com where you can read kind of some of the history. But some fun facts. There's an island called Thor. It's, I, I don't know how you pronounce that because it's in different country. It's like a... Uh, that would be like Swedish or something (laughs) Um, uh, where the Manhattan has become a standard at events, cafes, restaurants, et cetera. The story goes that a bunch of the people uh, immigrated to Manhattan during deep sea fishing trips were over there for a while during these fishing trips and then came back home. 
had fallen in love with the cocktail, brought it back home, and now there's this strange island where everybody drinks Manhattans all the time. Trivia. Hmm. And I wonder what their twist is. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I'm, salted cod or something, I bet. Well, I, what, what kind of <laughs> liquors. actually sounds pretty good. Well, what kind of liquors are, are native to Sweden that they might use up there that are a little more prominent? I mean, I'm sure they have some things that we don't necessarily know. You know, you might think of vodkas and things from that area of the world, but a lot of the older European countries also have their kind of indigenous right. liquors that don't necessarily get exported because there's not that much demand. And how would that alter the taste? So right. Again, you might be get, dealing with something where I like a really sweet Manhattan and they might have something that's extremely dry or extremely salty. Or this is this is one of those cocktails that even, even aside from how it how it how it was created, how it happened, where it came from, even just today. Like, you can walk around Cincinnati, walk into a bar, sit down with any bartender and say, make me your Manhattan and get something. Mm-hmm. And then walk, you know, three doors down to another bartender and ask them the same thing and get a different drink. And mm-hmm. it's fun to see how people put their own spin on it. Absolutely. That's It's, it's a fun drink. It's a, it's a fun drink. It's a fine drink. Um, this is, and again, I'm not is huge on the liquor. I'm, I'm more of a beer guy, right. but, um, when I do make drinks, I make two, two drinks at home for myself. One is an old fashioned. Well, I make three. One is an old fashioned, one is a Manhattan and one is a Kentucky mule. Yeah. So those are my three for a guy that professes not to like bourbon too much. They're all <laughs> bourbon drinks. Well, but as, I am as a, as a beer drinker, it's, it's easy to find your way into whiskey. Um, it's, there's there's a lot of parallels there when you really start digging in. Well, I I had a. It's my dad's uncle. I was never allowed to call him my great uncle because my aunt Mary said it gave him a big head. <laughs> but my uncle my Jerry, okay uncle. My, my uncle Jerry, <laughs> he lived to be seventy three, seventy four years old, and he outlived all his brothers by fifteen to twenty years. My my grandpa and his other brothers died very young, and so I asked him one time what's your secret? You know, how did you outlive all your brothers? And he said, well, Andy, let me tell you, you got three things. I said, all right, what, what are they? He said, number one, you got to drink good whiskey makers, Mark. <laughs> I said, okay. Cause this is how I grew up. Like everybody in the family, you had makers in the, in the cabinet for the kids to steal. And so, you know, I said, all right, what's number two? He said, number two is smoke good cigarettes, camel unfiltered. <laughs> I said, all right, you don't put any of that crap in there. <coughs> And I said, okay, there's two things make sense. Uncle Jerry, what's what's number three? And he said, never come home before 1 a.m. <laughs> and I go, so yeah, everybody listening is like, oh, this is where he gets it. <laughs> so like, why don't you come home before 1 a.m.? He goes, ah, God damn, you do it once, you spoiler. <laughs> but <laughs> she'll expect it every night. <laughs> so, so, you know, my, my tradition, my history with this kind of stuff is to drink whiskey. And, and like I said, my family, it was always Maker's Mark. On that same vein, but a little bit different, you it, most of what we drink now as booze and as our recreational kind of drink came from some kind of medicinal source, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you start getting into, you know, some of the, the absinthe or things like right. that where there's it's loaded with herbs and things like that. Vermouth is a great example of something that at one time was medicinal. It's it's yes. a it's a it's a way to take something that at one time people took as, as a fresh ingredient and use that as medicine, trying to find ways to preserve it and make it last longer. 
alcohol is the easiest way to do that. You, you infuse mm-hmm. it in alcohol and it is now shelf stable. Um, this is medicine. This might help you live longer. I don't know. Well, I, I can't argue with the man. <laughs> might, you know? might also kill us tonight, but who knows? <laughs> Cheers, Cheers to that. Um, anybody else wants to know more about the Manhattan, uh, get on the gnarlygnome.com and search for Manhattan, and hopefully there's an article about it. So um, if you have any questions or you have your own spin on the Manhattan or anything, uh, shoot an email to the gnome at drinkingwiththegnome.com. And uh, I don't know. I'll do something with it. <laughs> I'll, I'll reply to you. And, uh, <laughs> Way to finish strong, you. though. I, I don't know Way what to I'll finish do strong. Maybe when I eventually do the Manhattan <laughs> part two on Drinking With The Gnome, we'll include all that. I don't know. It's I'm, I'm winging it here. Cut me some slack. We would have never noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening. This right. is Drinking With The Gnome. Andy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.